Hey guys, Henning Morton from Flip Normals here. And in today's video, we are going to talk about why Blender isn't an industry standard tool. Now bear with us in this video. This video is in no way intended as a like mega critique on Blender or like any flame throwing or anything. This is purely our as best as we can objective view on what has led to this and, and what can be done in order for Blender to become more industry standard. So we've, we've compiled a long list of reasons that we'll sort of go through discussing the points on it, whether it's very software specific or what Blender is doing. And then we'll also try to like give some more constructive criticism on or like feedback on how we can sort of move the community and the, and the software forward for it to reach more adoption. So keep in mind, our background is from the film industry where we worked in VFX. So we, we're gonna be using that as a basis but this is also going to be applicable for the general 3D industry. Yeah. So the very first thing we want to talk about is that right now, Blender doesn't actually solve a particularly big problem for the big studios. Yeah. The bigger studios, they care very much about the final quality of what they're making. If, um, if you have a budget of $200 million, what you really care about is does Thanos look good? <laughs> It's less important is is the software which made it is that free or not? Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's it, it is it is an interesting sort of di dilemma because what Blender can do right now, other software can do as well. What what Blender brings to the table, of course, there are new features that doesn't exist in Max, doesn't exist in Maya, doesn't exist in Houdini, but as an overall package, it doesn't. There, there is no problem to be solved as such. You know, the, what the studios currently have, let's, let's talk from a Maya production point of view, is they have a well-tested piece of software that's been tested over the last 15, 20 years, however long the, their production has existed. And they know how that tool works. But now, if you want to introduce something like Blender, then you have to go through that entire thing again and get everything tested again and make sure everything's up to snuff, make sure everything works in your pipeline as it's supposed to, not to mention all the custom tools that's been developed. So the incentive to switch, and people have been citing this a lot, which is, well, you save a lot of money in pure licenses. And, and that is true. Um, and in the short term, you are going to save a lot of money. But long term, obviously, you're going to save even more money for like each year that you're not subscribing to something like Autodesk. We were looking at the license systems before, and what was it like, fifteen hundred dollars for a perpetual yearly license? I think. Mm. And keep in mind that's without bulk discount. Yeah, yeah, that's just purely if you buy it. Uh, that's that's what it's going to cost. And we were sort of like thinking, okay, what about something a studio like Dneg where we used to work? Maybe they have four hundred licenses, fifteen hundred dollars a pop. That'll be six hundred thousand dollars a year. Maybe they get a discount. Maybe they bring it down to a thousand. I don't know. Uh, that's four hundred thousand a year. So that is a substantial cost, but what you get with that cost as well is support. You get hotfixes, you get custom things developed. Anything that doesn't work, you have a support hotline. You can just pick up the phone and call Autodesk or whoever you know, your contact is at Autodesk, and you can work on getting that fixed. That doesn't exist for Blender. 
before we get too, far, too deep into it as well, one thing we just want to briefly discuss is what is actually a pipeline and yeah. what, what are some of the steps. <laughs> Good to mention. So what we would often see when we were working in the production was that we would start our concept sculpting in ZBrush and you would work up your model a lot in ZBrush. This is yeah. true if you're doing environmental characters, whatever it might be, anything organic, you would do it there. And ZBrush is just a really solid tool and it's industry standard in this regard. Nothing is currently going to beat that and not for a long period of time. Then you would do your retopologizing and your UVs in a software like Maya, which has incredibly solid tools for exactly this kind of job. Next up, you would do your texturing. This is uh, most likely done in Mari or Substance Painter or Substance Designer. Again, industry leading tools on this. These are specialized tools which only will do one thing, which is texturing. You're not trying to do anything fancy here. They're just sticking in a lane and they're doing an amazing job at exactly that. Yeah, it's the same thing with ZBrush. You know, it's, it, it, it has one purpose and that is to sculpt. I know that Pixelogic wants ZBrush to do a bunch of other things, but the reality is that it's mostly being used for sculpting. And then afterwards, we have um, rigging and animation in Maya. Maya is, is a really good tool for this. It's not necessarily a whole lot better at the core tools, but it has such a legacy of uh, tools where so many tools have been developed. So regardless of what tool you need for rigging or animation, whatever it is, somebody has solved that issue for you. Then you're going to be doing uh, effects and simulation, most likely in Houdini. This is, again, the, the best tool for this job. Incredibly expansive tool set which can do anything you throw at it. There was, there was a period in time where I used RealFlow uh, for, for simming, like fluid sims and do smoke sim as well. And, you know, they're still developing RealFlow for that, but it seems like Houdini is just, it's just a powerhouse when it comes to pure simulation and, and effects. And the next up, we will finally combine everything into in, in a rendering software, but you can see this is often Katana. And here you'll be rendering something like Arnold or Renderman. Yeah. And then the very last step would be compositing. And that's in, in, in the VFX industry, that's exclusively done in Nuke. Yeah, no I, other tools are even being touched yeah. there. Natron, nope. Uh, it, like nothing else. It's Fusion, it's, Blender, like nothing. It's 100% is. Nuke. And, you know, that, that's, that's also one of the things that um, we see cited a lot is just the talk about, well, if you have this specific tool in Blender, let's say it's, it's the compositor in in Blender, which yeah, you can do compositing. You can do like you can do some good compositing in there. But in terms of uh, pure speed, layout, nodes, everything, uh, what you have in terms of plugins for it for Nuke as well, you can render in Nuke. You know, you can just plug in V-Ray or or have it render with Arnold in Nuke. Um, that's one of the reasons why that's become a you know an industry leading tool, um, and why something like Blender. Again, just because it has the tool doesn't mean that you should use the tool for that job. No, each one of these tools we just mentioned, I would like Mari, Nuke, and all that, they probably have as big development teams as a whole of Blender yeah. by itself. And they're so specialized at what they're doing. And you're seeing updates to Houdini, whatever it might be. You're seeing like this specific node got 30% faster, which is a huge upgrade to, to the workflow. And, but you aren't even seeing anything near this in, in Blender right now. And that's, that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's like if you're trying to beat Houdini at effects, you are not doing that. If you're trying to beat Seabrush sculpting, you're not doing that. It's good that you have the basic tools, that you can do some sculpting and then you can do some simulation and all that, because it's really handy to have the basics tool, basic, basics of the tools here. But you're not going to beat the big ones. You, you should be collaborating with the tools. You should be looking into the tools which are the best for the job 
and then use those tools. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and I think it, it's also it's tricky when you talk about uh, Blender and, and industry standard, right? Because like what it seems like a lot of people in the community are, I think, conflicting it with is that Blender being industry standard means that it takes over every other software's job because Blender can do a lot of things. But that doesn't mean that Blender does that specific job as well as the specialized software. And like in, in most cases, it, do, it doesn't. Um, again, if we bring up sculpting or compositing, it just doesn't sculpt as well as ZBrush, even Mudbox. It just doesn't composite as well as Nuke. It doesn't edit as well as Premiere or Final Cut. So, but, but the fact is that it has all these tools, which is amazing. So if you want to get like an introduction into the 3D environment, you want to get started with it, in that regard, I think Blender is an amazing way into the industry is that it gets your feet wet, you get a sense of what 3D is. And when that's being said, of course, you can still use it for production. It just isn't the industry standard tool, even though even though it's existed for it's like 20, 25 years or it's, it's, it's a really long time. Um, it hasn't had the same kind of, say, development force behind it as some of the bigger studios have had. Like if you compare it to any Autodesk software, like they've had hundreds of engineers behind it for many, many years. Obviously, Blender is getting a lot of traction now, which I think is super positive, not just for Blender, but also for the industry, because that helps like push features like grease pencil or uh, real-time rendering with EV, something like that. That could potentially be seen in other software because, you know, it's an open source software and that exists in Blender. So I think they can all sort of like help each other become better. Another area as well, which isn't to do with the software specifically, but that's the people around it. If you're if you're doing a production right now, you have to crew up with a lot of people. Let's say you need 10 riggers, 10 modelers, 10 animators and all that. You, and you, you might have to have 50, 60 people for this production. Good luck finding that in Blender currently. It's really hard to find specialized people at these tasks particularly to the level which a lot of the productions require. Let's say you're doing a game cinematic or something like that, yeah. which just needs incredibly high quality. You're not, gonna, you're not going to be recruiting from a pool of Blender artists when you can be recruiting from a pool of Maya artists, which just objectively is just a bigger pool of production experience. There are probably more people who's using Blender than yeah, using Maya. Just because there's hobbyists and there's yeah, exactly. so many of them. But when it comes to the pool of professional people, so people you could actually trust with a huge production, we we would have a very hard time crewing up Blender, but it would be very easy. Well, it's never easy, but it would be <laughs> easier <laughs> to to find people to do the job. Yeah, because like I mean, when you when you talk about Blender and you talk about the pool of people there, it's of course there's there's a plethora of of amazing people that are using Blender. You see amazing things being created with Blender every day, but it it's it's kind of that like it's it it's kind of like chicken and egg thing because it isn't industry standard because it isn't really being used uh there aren't that many people that's using it therefore there's it's it's harder to make the argument for the switch because you're going to struggle to find people so why not just stick stick to the old ways of course there's going to be like um like pioneers and and companies that that want to think forward and and innovate in that and we were talking about the ubisoft animation studio being one of those which I think is like as one of the first sort of big public studios that go, hey, we're we're switching our in-house tools to Blender, which is, I mean, it's super cool to see, but you also shouldn't underestimate the amount of work that it takes 
and the amount of retraining that it takes. So right now, um, I read up on the, um, their press release. So they're right now, it's currently in like an incubator form. So they're not using it for the in-house production currently. That's, gonna ha- that's not going to happen until 2020. So obviously what's happening right now, I would assume, is that uh, they're currently, currently going through retraining with all of their artists. They're probably crewing up with uh, like, and looking for Blender-specific artists, Blender trainers as well. And then they're also looking at stress testing the software, something that's been happening with other software for decades. They've been tested in production. You know, features have been created in Maya, in Max, in Houdini because they've been made in production. That's not necessarily the same for Blender. You know, Blender is getting a lot of the features that other software has because they know, oh, right, we need this in this production. Oh, we need this when we're rendering. Um, So I would assume right now they're going through this trial and error process, trying to stress this, trying to figure out where is its shortcomings? uh, What do we need to develop for it? Because uh, don't be fooled, even though Blender has a lot of really cool features, you're going to need to develop a lot of things to get it up to snuff with a lot of basic features that exist in other 3D software. Yeah, these are things which they're not sexy features. We're not we're not talking about like grease pencil needs some more loving here. You're talking about under the hood underlying pipeline features and really putting a lot of love into specific features. This this just takes a lot of time. But like you just mentioned as well, like the whole retraining aspect of it really shouldn't be underestimated. If you have like we mentioned before, like let's you have four hundred people and you all have to train them, retrain them. It's going to take a significant amount of time to retrain them. This is not a trivial thing. You don't just watch a single flip normal tutorial. No. And now you watch <laughs> it, even though it's going to help. <laughs> but uh, this is a huge, huge part of the company. Uh, like, this is a huge strategic move in order to do that. You can't just expect people to sit in their spare time and learn it, because why would they do that? That's, yeah. that's, that's doing work outside of work hours. So... When you're doing it as well, you're also decreasing productivity a lot. Like the moment you start to retrain, productivity is going to drop to zero. Everyone is going to be panicking and it's going to be really hard to get anything done. And then after a few months, it's going to keep increasing. And then maybe after six months, people are back to an approximate level where they were. Yeah, it's it's interesting, right? Because like we, we made the jump to Blender. And I think that's also something we should talk about because I, I get a lot of questions about this. I... I got a, a question from an old friend of mine the other day, which was like, oh, okay, it seems like you should like religiously use Blender now. And like what's promoted the switch to Blender and does, does Blender replace uh, Maya in terms of modeling and UVing now? And I, I get these questions a lot. And oh, now that Blender has uh, better sculpting tools, now that Pablo's working on sculpting tools, uh, is it beating ZBrush now? And how long does it take until it's going to beat ZBrush? And, 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 and the truth is like, People have been talking about this for a long time as we switched to Blender. You know, okay, finally we won over Flip Normals. Finally, the people who've been hating the most on Blender, the Blender train, you know, finally we got them on our side. But that's, I think that's the fundamental misunderstanding about what it is to work in the industry. I, I don't care about Blender. I don't care about Maya. I don't care about ZBrush. I, like, I fundamentally don't care about the software. I use the tool that allows me to get the best results that I can. I love 3D. I don't love a software. And that, I think that's one of the fundamental differences a lot between uh, industry professionals 
and and hobbyists and i don't want people to take this in the wrong way this is isn't it like an attack on people and like the community or anything but it's more like just trying to get into that professionalist mindset of what it's like to working in the industry like when we're working on a production um like i i say i was doing uh i was doing some digi doubles for harry potter and okay we need some we have some scan data we need to clean up the scan data okay what's the best piece what's the best tool for that zbrush it can handle massive amounts of polygons in not a lot of objects cool we'll take it into there we'll smooth it out okay there's some some clothing that needs to be removed okay we can use zbrush for that as well now we need to recreate the clothing okay we'll use marvelous designer for it even though blender or maya has end cloth i'm not going to do the the clothing in there just because i think it's a more easy to use software or whatever i'll use the tool that's best for the job and and that's that's the case for everything in production yeah i really love what it can do with 3d like yeah. the the art side of it the practical side of learning of, of really of learning a tool itself is really frustrating when we're sitting yeah. down learning blender that is a very frustrating experience but i love what it can do with blender one of my favorite things about it is is concepting mm. is that I would say Blender is faster than all other software I've tried when it comes to pure concepting. 100%. The fact that you have Eevee in it, the fact that you have um, sculpting, shading, you have everything there. You can. It's gesture-based. I mean, you have to have the clicks of what it takes you to do in Maya. It's way faster than way Maya. Way faster to get up to a certain point. Yes. So it's really quick to get up to like 60 to 70%, which means that a lot of art departments are... Are moving into blender and for previous as well where you're basically blocking out the whole movie before the movie gets made is incredibly good it's incredibly blender is a incredibly good tool for that and i love to be able to do that but if i'm doing if i'm doing uv mapping i'm going to be using a good tool for that yeah i think one of the things we talked about just before recording this video was sort of like if you take max Max is a terrible example because all the plugins, but that's been integrated now, <laughs> and I think it's stable. Let's take Maya as an example. Maya, five years ago, I think five years ago, sucked at retopology and sucked at UVing. It was horrible. It was like it was frustrating how bad it was, considering you know it's like it's a, it's a pillar of 3D. Then they acquired Nex for 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 retopology and and some modeling things, which is now the modeling toolkit. And then they acquired the Nightshade UV editor, which replaced the Maya UV editor. And those two things were plugins. Those were both both paid plugins that you could integrate. Um, but I feel like one of the differences with Blender compared to other software is that oftentimes, in order to do basic things in Blender, you still need an add-on. Um, a lot of add-ons are free. That's cool. A lot of add-ons are paid, and that's also cool. Like people need to make money. But I feel like the this the, the split between how much you need to get up to a basic level is really high for blenders. You need to do a lot of research. You need to keep up to date with the add-ons. You update to 2.8. All of a sudden, retopoflow doesn't work anymore. Now you can't retopologize effectively in Blender anymore. So now you have to wait or you have to use uh, 2.79. And, and in a production, like what happens oftentimes in a production or all the time is that you don't update your software. Never. Like, four-year-old version <laughs> exactly like even between production sometimes you'll still stick to the same maya version because they know it works like what what happens at the start of a production you'll decide on a version of each software so let's stay with maya here and let's say okay we're using maya 2015 for this show cool we've just updated our entire pipeline old scripts have to be updated make sure that everything still works with maya maybe they've integrated something new into the you know the, the pipeline environment so all the scripts have to be tested cool 
they do that for uh, a couple months or whatever before production starts. Then production starts, that lasts maybe a total of two years. Okay, now we're on to 2016, 2017. But the studio isn't using 2017 for this production, it's still in 2015. Now we move on to the next production, and they're like, well, it's a, we have to get started with this production pretty quickly. Okay, there's no reason to update to 2017 because it's minor what we get. We'll stick to 2015. So even though if you, if you use the same analogy with Blender, you know, the development, the development speed of Blender is phenomenal. You know, there's nightly builds, like every night, <laughs> new features get added. Every other month, there's a new, like, point release, I think. And, and so, so a lot of new features get added to Blender really often. But a lot of those features in a production wouldn't be relevant because they're not on that point version that the studio might be using. So you're still losing out on a lot of that. If I had a production where literally millions of dollars were was relying on, I would not use Blender 2.8 today. I would not use the version which has been out for a no. few months and no. has not been stress tested. Maybe if it's been out for for like a year or so mm. and it's had patches and all that kind of stuff. But uh, when people are particularly when people are talking about that, you should download the experimental builds and keep working on those. Like you should never work with those. You should play with them. But yeah. you should never actually rely like not on in them. a production like I, I i most of the time i work with experimental builds because i'm not i don't have any serious dependencies i don't have other people depending on me i don't have a project that i'm connected to i don't have a pipeline that i'm connected to if you're just sitting at home and you're doing your own stuff yeah then by all means use the nightly builds uh, but that can be tricky in a production environment where you're relying on pipeline scripts one thing as well, which uh, we're seeing a lot with Blender, is that since a lot of the the users are not professional users, a lot of the training available as well isn't something you want to use in a production. We've seen a lot of modeling tutorials where the the stuff they're teaching you is it might look really cool, it might be great for concepting, or maybe it, it it's great for illustration. But if you actually try to do that in a in a production workflow, you would you you would be fired on day one <laughs> what we've seen specifically for instance uh, people are using a lot of booleans for modeling which is such a quick and easy way of model terrible topology you should never use that for for final work at least not without a severe amount of cleanup so this is also a problem in terms of making it industry standard because in, in order to, to make people switch to blender you you just need a lot of training you need a lot of documentation you need to be able to give new artists a whole package of this is what watch all these videos and then you're fine. That's hard to find. There are definitely good tutorials, but I think we both both realized that when we we're switching to it. There was a lot of tutorials where which they were focused simply on this is the first time you're touching 3D. You've never used it before. This is a vertex, yeah. which is not great. No, and I think not, not, more than that, it's like there's a lot of wrong training. There's a lot of training out there, both free and paid, that'll tell you from a production point of view, something that might not be true. Like you can't do this in a production. Again, it's it's very different. That's why it's really hard sometimes to have discussions with hobbyists specifically. When you're coming at this from a a like an industry point of view, like you've worked professionally with these tools for a film, for commercials, whatever it is, and you go like this feature or doing this specific action, um, a lot of the time, it's actually kind of hard to find correct information on how to do things, a specific workflow, a specific tool, because uh, the people that you're relying on, and I, I want to point out that like the Blender community in terms of support and help is by far the most helpful I've ever seen. Like it's crazy. Like you, you put out one tweet 
and you get 10 replies back on how to do a thing. Uh, so, you know, props for that. That's one of the things that makes it very inviting to be a part of. But at the same time, a lot of the information is a workaround on how to get to a more correct solution. So you might never end up at the correct solution. You might have something that looks correct, but under the hood doesn't actually do what you what you wanted it to do. And you can't have that in a production environment. So the more professional artists that get into Blender or the more Blender, uh, like uh, sole Blender artists that become professionals and go on to work in a professional environment, the more of those that we have, the better it'll be for Blender and the better like you can push the adoption for Blender because then you, you, you start to build this reputation of there's quality training with quality people making quality stuff, like whether it's tutorials or products um, for Blender. Yeah, it's kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy mm-hmm. where it's a snowball which is just going to, in a good way, yeah. roll down and crush the whole village. And you saw that with, with Ubisoft. You know, Once Ubisoft got on board with, okay, we're using it in production and sponsoring a gold member or something, I think, for the development fund, then uh, Epic jumped on board as well. NVIDIA jumped on board as well. AMD as well. You know, so, so that's another thing that's going to push adoption is more and more funding because then they can have more and more developers so they can start to compete with the development teams that something like Autodesk has. I don't think they'll ever compete with Autodesk in terms of team size just because Autodesk's entertainment division is like this. It's like 2-3%. Like compared to, like, you should look up what Autodesk does. Autodesk isn't just Maya and Max. It's massive. Like AutoCAD it in itself is. The world where lies AutoCAD. Like <laughs> exactly. literally. That's how your local bridge was made. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So a lot of these things still need to happen um, in terms of just Blender development and, and maturity for it to you know, really be more mainstream, I would say. I would love an AMD versus NVIDIA war for, for Blender. I, I, I totally see it being very beneficial for NVIDIA to to sponsor them with like a, I don't know a million or a few hundred thousand dollars <laughs> yeah. how much it is because now people need Nvidia cards to run that or they need AMD cards whatever it might be it's just a it's just really beneficial for them to actually dictate what kind of development will be done in yeah, this regard yeah. and the good thing about Blender getting more developers as well is that this this translates to the other software as well it's not that it's not that Blender is made in a vacuum and then Maya is made in a vacuum. No, a lot of stuff in Blender is stolen directly from Maya in terms of like UX and what features are needed and all that. And a lot of features in Maya are stolen from Modo and you're seeing stuff being, it's just a circle of theft. And, and this isn't a bad thing. <laughs> no, not like, at all. Competition is the most healthy thing you can have. Like imagine like if Flip Normals, our marketplace was the only marketplace that existed. It would be garbage. Because like we wouldn't be pushed to do the things we do. Uh, we probably wouldn't be curated if we were the only ones. Uh, we wouldn't have all the features that we have. It's like it's, it's the same thing that goes with software. Like because another software has a feature, you go like, well, all of a sudden you get a lot of requests for that feature, and then you can implement it. So you know, competition like that is healthy. And the more that that happens with Blender, especially with, I have a lot of faith in Ubisoft using Blender because they're going to start developing a lot of in-house tools. And they've, I think they've publicly announced as well that they're going to share them with the community. So that could be sort of like a really nice segue into getting a more and more standardized tool for production. Because when you break it down, you're like on the surface, Blender looks amazing. And you can always like you can always show these big features of what's happening. Like whether it's it's the new sculpting features, we're going, oh man, it's going to take over ZBrush. And okay, we have these uh, retopology features. Oh, it's going to take over Maya. But 
once you get into the nitty gritty where it's like you need an add-on for importing multiple obj's uh olympic support is lacking uh, we're talking about light linking uh, scene management is really hard performance when you have big scenes which is something you do a lot in 3d can't undo with big scenes exactly there, there's a lot of these things that still need to be worked on and i think when you have a competitive environment like we do with 3d uh, you see the same thing with seabrush which is weird because they don't really have any competition you tend to create big features that look impressive but you kind of neglect the basics you know if seabrush is a great example there it was like how long is it taken to get like uh, like folders or layers you know we still don't have layers so we can camera actually import. Real, the camera import that didn't even work when it came yeah. out uh, animation yeah <laughs> you know so a lot of these things tend to happen especially because because it looks impressive i think there was a lot of that controversy around uh autodesk as well for a couple of years where like they would seemingly come out with like these amazing new features that looked good for like the board of directors the investors but for us working in the industry we're like dude we're like these features are broken fix them so you know even if you have a big company like that and you can get hot fixes or whatever there's obviously still going to be problems where they're not going to pay full attention to you um, but that's one of the areas where i could see blender like sort of like uh, being a more personalized software where they because they listen to the community you know you have all those like you can submit these feature requests and you might not have a a support hotline when it comes to blender but i feel like uh, the general user, hobbyist, professional, whatever it is, has more of a voice when it comes to Blender development. And I think that's one of its really like its strong suits. One of the things we have to talk about as well when it comes to features is that I've seen this a lot where people assume that if Blender has a feature, that means it's equivalent to another software. Like it's a checkbox. Oh, it has sculpting. Cool, now it's as good as ZBrush. Or it has, node, it has nodes, now it's Houdini. This, this couldn't be further from the truth. The, the power of Houdini isn't because it technically has nodes. The power of Houdini is because what the nodes can do. Uh, they're not, it wasn't that Houdini was done in version one where they had <laughs> nodes and be like, yeah, that was it. We figured out, you just got to have nodes and that's it. Yeah. Same with Seabrush as well. Seabrush's strength isn't because you can sculpt. The strength of Seabrush is the performance, how many polygons you can have, which is an insane amount. I mean, you, you can't sculpt with 50 million polys raw in Blender. I would make your computer catch on fire i mean multi-res for god's sake doesn't even work properly yeah. in blender you know which is the backbone of you know doing dividing your model in zbrush so it's not the same just because it has a feature doesn't mean it's replacing the tool you particularly like you, you're seeing this with uh, like now getting some improved texture painting tools it's not a replacement for substance painter like because one developer did like a hotfix for <laughs> Or something or improved a feature marginally does not mean it's better than no i mean you're, you're not competing with a software that has a hundred dedicated software developers it's just math you know it is and, and again like i really want to emphasize that this isn't a video to bash blender or to bash the people using blender like we use blender we think blender is awesome that's great yeah. it's super fun software like i haven't had this much fun using a software in a long time Maya isn't fun to use no it's boring it's a like, tractor it's yeah it's gray it's just like it doesn't have dark mode maybe it does now i don't know uh, it's rare i use, actually use maya now but it's like blender i think is fun and i think blender is an awesome way to get started with 3d but 
we just have to be realistic about it. I'm I'm very hopeful, like about Blender and its future in the industry. And I do believe that Blender can be used by a lot of studios. But you just have to be realistic about the timeline, first of all. And you have to be, I think, realistic about what it can actually do. And it's, it's really hard. Like, this is one of the reasons I actually really wanted to get into Blender is to better understand its strengths and weaknesses. Because, yeah, I've been talking about Blender for many years. And my viewpoint is exactly the same now as it was before starting. I started using Blender. It's like it's not an industry standard tool. It's lacking a lot of things compared to the industry standard tools. Uh, it, it, has, it has its place in 3D. It's great for beginners, but it just needs more time. Um, and I think, I mean, it's been interesting seeing the development sort of like community wise from before we started using Blender to now, where obviously there's a lot of people that are happy that we're using Blender because people like the content that we're creating. And, and I would say generally we try to create really high quality content. But there's also the other side, which is like, oh, you guys are just cashing in on Blender or oh, finally we won you over. No, no, no. It's, it's not it's not a competition. It's like. Like we talked about it. it's just whatever helps you get the job done that's what you should use yeah and we're always looking for new tools to play play around with and we've been looking for blender for some time we, we both of us have been trying blender way before 2.8 mm -hmm. it was just that 2.8 was such a ginormous version like yeah it, it it didn't just improve the features but it improved the ux of it it actually made it a lot easier to work with i i personally had a huge problem with actually working with previous versions it was so frustrating yeah. the interface made no sense fact that left mouse was right click yeah you could switch that but it's just not a good good first impression of it i mean i used to i used to uv and blender mm. <laughs> and then before maya got good before maya got good and then maya got good so then i used maya again for uv uh, so it's just you know i switch to whatever helps me get the job done faster they yeah, used 3d code as well for some time and then yeah. maya got good retopology tools and yeah, i mean 3d code's retopology was amazing it still is but now i just prefer to have that suite where it's all collected in in one software and that's also one of the reasons why blender isn't industry standard at this point because 2.8 was a huge version and it's gonna go down in history as maybe the thing which really changed the trajectory of blender where it's it it, it might be the one which started mass adoption in studios but it just came out. It came out a few <laughs> months ago now, but it just came out. It means that a lot of people don't even know it's there. And uh, the interface before that was very, very hostile to, to it's adoption. Like, it's like looking at Softimage. It's just off-putting. Yeah. You know, it just it doesn't look good. Yeah. So how can, how, can we, how can Blender actually get more adoption in the industry? We're already seeing it. Yeah. We're already seeing the, the, a real start of it happening. Now that there are literally millions of dollars being spent on, on development of mm -hmm. it, not by, by small donors, but by big companies, this is going to have huge impacts. Yeah. Maybe not, you're not going to see it for some years, but once they come out with the tools they're developing, this is going to have big impacts on it. Yeah, I mean, it's, like, it's kind of like uh, influ influencers on YouTube saying that, oh, this phone is great. You know, when you have... Uh, heavy hitters like Ubisoft public saying that they're using it, Nvidia investing in it. People go like, "Huh, okay. Well, maybe if a company like that is willing to invest in a piece of software, maybe, then there must be something to it." Which then sort of like that brings in more artists, which has then you have more people that use it. Then maybe companies are more willing to hire some Blender artists. Maybe they switch one department to it, and then slowly that's going to start to snowball. And if, if it can do the same thing as Maya, then it's very hard to justify 
the cost of Maya. Now, I don't think it's going to replace Maya anytime soon, but it can replace tasks Maya is doing. <laughs> if um, if uh, Maya or if Blender were to improve its retopology and UV tools, I would most likely use Blender for for general asset creation. Yeah, because it's it's good. I mean, it's poly a polygon is a polygon. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter how you get there, <laughs> and Blender is really fast at that. I just can't really do that at the current moment because Blend because Blender is still not there in terms of UV tools. Yeah, then you, but then Maya. you go the whole like yeah, but then you just need to buy an add-on. But it's like. Do I really need to like so that's that's the argument, right? Well, you can just buy an add-on to get it fixed. Okay, but then I could just use the software that I already know that has a built-in add-on for the feature that I'm missing in Blender. And particularly when you're in a production where you don't really care about the cost of the software. Yeah, that's, that's just that's the, the studio. The studio pays it. You so, go like I need the software, they go like okay. Yeah, and uh, particularly when you're in a production environment, the most important thing there is really is it done good in a fast manner. If if you spend twice as long, but the software is free, it doesn't matter. If you, you your salary is way more expensive per year than the cost of Maya, like like forty times. Yeah. As a as a as a more senior artist, there, way more important that the human gets the job done faster than you save money on it. Yeah, maybe maybe your work pays for a Maya license within a week or two. Yeah, easily. You know, easily. So. It's also really cool to see that more people are using it. This is just this just means that adoption is gonna is just gonna naturally keep increasing. Mm -hmm. More people using it just means more people are aware that it's a real thing. And particularly when you're seeing uh, like heavy hitters like Yama using it for concept art, mm -hmm. this just means that yeah, for sure people take it seriously. Yeah. I was showing it to a concept artist student some months ago now, and I uh, showed him the grease pencil demo, and he was like, "Holy crap! This is amazing!" Yeah, because this it's such a game changer when it comes to it. And that and means if concept artists start using it. Yeah, and I know. I mean, I know that our our reach isn't it isn't mega huge, but it's still I would say it's still sizable. But we've seen a lot of comments as well saying that okay, Flip Normals is is starting to promote Blender on their YouTube channel. They've been skeptical about it in the past. They're using it now. I'm not like comparing us to Nvidia or anything, <laughs> but I'm just saying like all these things make a difference. So. Like, I want to stay positive about Blender, but it's also important to note that just because someone is saying something uh, critical about a piece of software, it doesn't mean that they hate it or they hate the community or whatever it is. It's just like we're trying to have a rational debate about things and how to improve it. And, and there needs to be room for all of that for, for the software to grow, I think. So I, I would say just like people on all sides whether it's someone on the fence about using blender or it's someone who's really dedicated to using blender should just be open to whatever feedback or critique comes its way whether it's like okay maya can't do this but blender can do and the other way around i think having that open mindset is going to do a lot for blender and its community as well i think it's also really important to have that when if you if you're comparing blender to zbrush it shouldn't be why is blender better no you should be asking what can we steal from zbrush oh yeah that's exactly what pablo is currently doing like the features which are coming there are so inspired by Seabrush. They even have the same names sometimes. I saw I saw one which I, I absolutely love was like, you know, polygroups in Seabrush, which I think he's sort of implementing now. But you could paint polygroups. Oh, that's so cool. You know, whereas before, like in Seabrush, you have to paint with a mask, then convert it to a polygroup. But here you can just do it directly. That's again an example of where Blender just like has one click instead of two. Uh, the same thing when you're doing modeling. There's a lot of that that, that really speeds up your workflow. Yeah, and the real strength of Blender is really that you can do everything in one package. Yeah, like you're you're not beating Mari, ZBrush, 
painter, whatever it is, but you might be beating it in the sense that you can do everything in one package. It's not going to be the highest quality, but a lot of time you don't need 100% quality. A lot of times you need to get something out really quickly and being able to just sculpt the terrain quickly with the brushes. You just need 60% brushes. Yeah. The terrain is good enough the way it is, and you don't need the 200 insert train brushes which <laughs> ships with ZBrush. It's just excessive. And you know, keep in mind, it's just because just because we're talking about Blender being not an industry standard software doesn't mean that uh, oh, we don't have issues with other software. Like I like we have done I don't know. So hundreds, well not hundreds, hundred of ZBrush videos <laughs> by this point, I think. And in every single one of them, we probably rage about a feature in ZBrush. Yeah, that's fair. You know, it's just ZBrush is kind of a trash piece of software. <laughs> it does sculpting really, yeah. really well. But by me saying this, no one in the comments is going to be super triggered about me actually hating on ZBrush because it's like the big player, right? It's always like, it's always hard being like the, the underdog, I suppose. Um, but, you know, ZBrush is a horrible production tool. If, if, a, so. if I was still in production and another more production-friendly tool came along, like has the production friendliness of Mudbox and the sculpting feel of ZBrush, I would have switched to that like in a heartbeat just because how much I hate working with ZBrush in a production. But I love sculpting in it and nothing comes close. No, you, you love the end result of, yes. of, of it. You love the feeling of the sculpting and all that, but working in production. <laughs> and, and ultimately that is, I think, the biggest thing that's going to excel Blender forward and, and going to push more mass adoption. That's just more and more artists using it, more and more people talking about using it, people creating content, uh, whether it's tutorials, products, and then slowly starting to get it into production. That it just it just takes time, and it, you know it's not going to change in the next five to ten years. I think it's going to take longer than that, but slowly people are going to start using it more and more, and and that's just going to become that self-fulfilling prophecy, and then snowball rolls, and before you know it, Blender's being used everywhere. <laughs> yeah and then you know the thing is it's open source open source is amazing and we have access to so many cool tools it means that someone develops something for it everyone can use it in blender um of course there's still going to be paid stuff which there should be uh i don't think people should really have an issue with that uh, because people need to make a living whether it's on the blender market where there's a lot of paid add-ons for it it's like that's cool that allows a blender developer to keep working on that add-on or make a new add-on to make a living they can help push the tools so you know that's also a thing to keep in mind that just because it's a free software doesn't mean that all content for that software should be free no we we have paid blender training but we our training isn't open source no and the good thing about having paid content like having like retopa flow or having our introduction to blender it just means it's a lot easier to get into it it just means a lot easier to get the job done and you just want an ecosystem of training and of tools in around a software like that but yeah i think this is about wraps it up yeah i mean i, I would love to hear what people constructively have to say about this because i know this this is obviously going to be a topic that's I, I'm assuming it's going to be a slightly sensitive topic just because, I mean, we're, we're really trying to be objective here, like analyzing what, what is and what can be done. But I would love to hear what people have to say in the comments about it because I, I want to get more opinions in and, and we could be wrong about a lot of things as well. Uh, but that's just, you know, our viewpoint on it from a production point of view. And um, yeah, if you want to see more videos like this in the future, make sure to comment, subscribe and like down below. And uh, I guess we'll see you in the next one. Thanks for watching, guys.
So if you're looking for training or high quality assets, make sure to stop by the Flip Normals Marketplace. And if you're interested in supporting us by buying our merchandise, you can check that out in the description below.